Okay, thank you, Brother Dale. Let's turn in our Bibles tonight to Psalm 127. We'll look at uh, verse 5, make sure I get that right, because I was stuck on verse 4 earlier, and Gary caught it and corrected me, so I'm on the right verse, verse 5. Now, we've been talking about the decline that we see here. Whenever we think about the things like, unless the Lord builds a city, they labor in vain that built it, we're looking at it from the standpoint that when you uh, look around at our society and our culture today, we find that the flesh is at work, the enemy is at work, and we're not looking to the Lord, we're not trusting the Lord, we're not interested in the Lord, and we do everything uh, in opposition to what He has said, and so we watch our society go downhill. Let's read the whole psalm. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain or for nothing or emptiness. Verse 2, it is vain or empty for you, worthless for you to rise up early, to set up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, a skilled warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy, this is what we'll look at tonight, happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies at the gate. And just to review a little bit, the first week we were in this psalm, it's hard to believe we're in our fifth week in this, we talked about the uh, nation in decline is a nation that makes the attempt to succeed as a secular society. We've outgrown God. We don't need God anymore. That's all just superstitious. Who cares about it? We can do it on our own. That's a dangerous thing. Secondly, we talked about an inordinate trust in military might. What do we need God for? What do we need to pray for? Why do we need to trust Him? After all, we've got hydrogen bombs. We can handle whatever may come our way. And uh, that's just not true because unless the Lord is protecting you, it is in vain. And then we said thirdly that uh, when we find our identity and security in our work or in our wealth, in what we do or in what we have, and he says it's vain to rise up early, assuming that's to work, or to sit up late. And uh, then he talks about eating the bread of sorrows. We don't want to do that. Uh, we also said, number four, seeing children as a burden rather than a reward. And he says very clearly, children are your heritage. They live on after you to carry on your life and your influence for the glory of God. And the, uh, a pregnancy is a reward from God, it says here. And then we want to look, uh, well, we talked last week about leaving parenting to the experts. There's always somebody who knows how to make arrows better than we do. The experts know how to do it, and yet the experts almost always get it wrong. They change, and about the time they tell you this is the way to do it, then it changes later on because, well, nobody listens to an expert if everybody knows what the experts are saying, so they have to keep changing it, coming up with new things and new ideas. And they're not helping. We're not getting better. We're actually getting worse during this time and so uh, tonight we want to go to uh, verse 5 and we want to say that a society in decline is believing the myths ok 
okay? All of the untrue things. We, we have rejected the truth of God's word. We've got our own ideas, our own opinions. And after all, I'm just as smart as God is. And I can figure out life just as well as the Bible. The Bible's an old, dusty book. Who needs it? We do that with everything that's more than about 20 years old. It's outdated. It's not anything that we can use. We do that with our Constitution, with our laws, and we do that certainly with the Word of God. And tonight, I want to say I don't have any particular agenda that is pointed toward anybody that's here or anybody else. I'm going to talk tonight about this idea that people think that they can be happy whether they have children or not, whether they're married or not, whether they have sex outside of marriage, whether it just doesn't matter. I'm going to do what I want to do is the motto of this particular world. And we think we can handle it. When I think about that, I think about the feminist movement so many years ago said a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. And the idea then was that men and women are equal. It's only society and culture that makes them different. Uh, a man is the way he is because he didn't play with Barbies. And a woman is the way she is because she did play with Barbies. And if we could just change that around, if we could dress them alike, cut their hair alike, have them involved in the same activities, then they would be completely equal. Well, now we're seeing with the transgender movement and all of this stuff with... Uh, the swimmers, um, what's his name, Thomas, and uh, uh, oh gosh, I forgot the lady's name that uh, lost out to him and missed out on an NCAA championship. And um, actually they tied, and because the NCAA wanted to be politically correct, they gave it to the trans guy instead of to the girl. And it's a really sad story when you hear her talk about it. And uh, now we kind of want everyone to say there's no difference. Everything is the same. But we're finding out that even if you have hormones and surgeries and all of that, a man is still a man and a woman is still a woman physiologically, biologically, and all of that. And so we kind of have this idea that it doesn't really matter what we do. And another thing that the feminist movement did years ago is they wanted to have convenient contraception uh, not just for the man to use, but for the woman to use so that women could be just as promiscuous as men have been and not have the consequences of an unwanted pregnancy. And then you have abortion just in case anything like that did happen. And uh, we're trying to make ourselves happy going against the things of God and then we wonder why we're so depressed, why suicide rates are so high and why people just are... Uh, foundering and it's just a sad thing the Bible says here happy is the man and so this is addressed mainly to males tonight who has his quiver full of them now some people will tell you to have a quiver full means you got to have about 20 kids it doesn't say that it doesn't give a number some people maybe only need one arrow some people may need five some may need three the Lord is the one who guides you in that and takes care of that. But you notice that this man here possesses his quiver. He doesn't put arrows in everyone else's quiver. He's not having children by all kinds of women in all kinds of places, like some pro athletes do now. 
and uh, he knows his kids. He's in possession of the arrows. He has shaped the arrows. He keeps the arrows with him. He's involved with them, and they are involved with him. It's always been uh, one of the sad parts of reality is that women tend not to give up their children. I know there are exceptions to that, and abortion would uh, be the ultimate exception to that. But generally, when a a, a girl gets pregnant, she wants to keep the children, and she wants to try to raise them. And I have all kinds of respect for single moms who, uh, because of their morals and all of that, that maybe they slipped up, made a mistake, then they found out that they were pregnant, but they saw the baby as a gift from God rather than something to be punished with or get rid of. And I admire single moms who raise their children. And we ought to pray for them and we certainly ought to help them. I will also say this. I have absolutely no use or respect for a deadbeat dad. A guy that would go ahead and get a girl pregnant and then abandon her and the child. No respect for that at all. And we know what the Bible says about the proper way this is to be done. And uh, we also know that since... Uh, uh, not too long after the beginning of time, people have been violating all of this. And uh, it's a, a sad thing, and I think it's especially sad for the way that it affects the children. So happiness comes from doing things the Lord's way. And uh, the Lord knows exactly what He means, and the Lord knows exactly what we need and the way thing is things are supposed to work for us and for our children, for our families and for our society. And we have decided we can do it better ourselves. So believing the myth here, happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. We don't believe that anymore. And we don't believe in any of that kind of stuff as a society. That's what I mean. As Christians, we can make a difference. And that word happy jumped out at me. All my life I've heard things like this, and I've even said it sometimes. God didn't call us to be happy, but to be holy. Now, I essentially agree with that, but as I was doing some research, maybe we were a little too hard on all of that. What's wrong with being happy? Now, if you pursue happiness at the expense of holiness, now we have a problem. And, and it'll be elusive. It'll be like chasing a rainbow. You'll never uh, find it. The Hebrew word in this verse, verse 5, the Hebrew word here is esher. And uh, interestingly enough, it's used 45 times in the Old Testament. 45 times. And uh, it's translated here as happy. In other verses, the same word is translated as blessed. And uh, another translation even has joyful in it well then i went on and i thought well what's the new testament counterpart to that and it's the greek word makarios i'm familiar with that word all of the beatitudes when it says blessed are the poor in spirit makarios is the word that is used there and makarios is used 50 times in the new testament but interestingly enough it's translated as fortunate blessed and it's even translated as happy both in the old and the new testament and then i wanted to make sure that i was on the right track and so i looked up in the greek translation of the old testament the uh, septuagint makarios is the word that is used uh, as the way they translated that word esher and so all of it has the same concept happy blessed 
fortunate. One writer even said that the word means to be envied by other people. And there is a sense to where people ought to look at our lives and they ought to see the blessing of God to the point that they would envy us. I wish I could have your life. I wish I could have your family. I wish I could have your joy. I wish I could have your stability, those type of things. And uh, so I would uh, say this, it's a natural thing to want to be happy. I think everybody wants to be happy. It's a natural thing to seek after happiness. And if you find it, it's a natural thing to enjoy it. And so we're not called to be miserable and we're not called to be sour. We're not called to have a terrible life and uh, to demonstrate how awful it is to follow Jesus. There ought to be joy and blessedness and happiness in our lives as we uh, follow the Lord and as we obey his word because we sometimes act as though happiness is wrong. I feel good. I'm enjoying things. Where's the sin? I'm feeling good, I'm enjoying things, I'm waiting for something bad to happen because God's certainly not going to let me have any joy or happiness in my life. And I think we've got it wrong when we think of God as being just kind of a cosmic killjoy and we think of the Word of God as always squelching us when actually it is going to cause us to blossom and to have the joy of the Lord. Jesus even promised he would give us joy. And it wouldn't be the joy like the world gives. It would be his special kind of joy. And uh, we think that we can get that apart from God's blessing. I would be happy if I could get revenge on that person when the Bible says revenge not evil. But I'm convinced if I could just get revenge then everything would be great. And what happens? It eats us alive even after we get it. Well, I, I know the Bible says I have to forgive people, but I can't forgive them. Now, what you mean as a Christian is that you won't forgive them because God lives in you and He is a forgiving God. That's why you're saved. And He can forgive through you. But we just hold on and say, I just can't do it as if we're going to lose our joy and our happiness if we do. And what we find out is we get embittered and we get angry and we get resentful and all of that type of thing. Plus, we don't have the blessing of the Lord. And we could go on and on. And that even happens uh, sexually in the... Uh, society in which we live, people just say, oh, it doesn't matter about marriage. Marriage is just a piece of paper. Actually, it's not. It's called a covenant that's between you and your spouse and with God. And that's different than a contract. A contract can be torn up, nullified, thrown away, but a covenant is not supposed to do that. A covenant is supposed to be much deeper and much more spiritual and more binding than that and yet we try to do it our own way and we say no I, I can't be happy doing anything God's way I'll be happy if I can do it the way that I want to do it we tell somebody that uh, sex is reserved for marriage for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother cleave to his wife and they too shall become one flesh the order is very clear there but then you get two young people but we love each other and uh, so then they fall for it and then they end up reaping the consequences of it and it's not always a happy thing when we do things our own way it may be for a little while because the bible does teach us that sin does bring pleasure for a season, but um, it doesn't last long, and the consequences of that are a mess. So when we think about this myth of having happiness 
outside of the family. We mean the family the way that God has declared it and the way that God has decreed it. And uh, I found out that this past year, 1,464,455 live births occurred to unmarried mothers, single moms. You know what that means? We have about a 40% rate of illegitimate births, births out of wedlock in our nation right now. 40%. That's getting up there, getting way up there. And it has some consequences to it. And uh, when I said illegitimate births, I try to stay away from that. I don't believe in illegitimate children. I think they're illegitimate parents. But uh, the children are gifts from God. And uh, now listen to this as they broke it down uh, racially. For African Americans, the number is 69.4% of children born out of wedlock. For American Indians... And Alaska Natives, not much better, 68.2% of children are born outside of marriage. For Native Hawaiians and other Pacific Islanders, uh, they were at 50.4%, a little better, but still not good. For Hispanics, it was 51.8%. For whites, it was 28.2%. That's better, but it's still way too many. That's a quarter of them. And for Asian Americans, uh, they win the prize. Only 11.7% of Asians have babies out of wedlock. Now, all of that says that where we may look at it and go, well, that's much better than these other ones. That's not the point. The point is it's all wrong and it's all harmful and it is all sinful. And we bought the lie and the myth that we can be happy doing things the way we want to do it and not following the plan and the will of God. The 2021 uh, Census Bureau report revealed that uh, 18.4 million children live in fatherless households. Can you imagine? Well, that breaks my heart. Because most of the time, I know there are exceptions, most of the time, that's not the woman's fault. That's the man saying, I'm going to be what I want to be, and I don't want to be tied down, and I'm going to live footloose and fancy free, and I'm going to be doing what I want to do with whomever I choose to do it. And uh, at one point, well, they, they say uh, a pretty good statement here that girls will mess around with sex looking for love, but boys will mess around with love looking for sex. And so when you have this kind of thing going on and no restraints, just let it all go, do whatever you have to do, then you're using uh, means that are not good and immoral and things that cannot be blessed by God. And in these households without fathers, they are four times, a household without a father, children are four times more likely to live below the poverty line. So uh, whenever we look at some of the things in the inner city and people are so concerned about that, the government says, throw more money at it, throw more money at it, throw more money at it, and uh, just destroy the family and all of that. The best thing you can do is have them get married before they have children and raise their children together. There's just a dynamic in that that God blesses. And uh, that's one way to stay out of uh, poverty. But our government doesn't believe that, and we wouldn't dare say that. 
and approximately 7 million biological dads are absentee dads to all of their minor children. Did you get that? Approximately 7 million biological dads are absentee dads to all of their minor children. Now, that's a sad thing to think about. A child grows up without a dad, and a dad could be there, but he's not. A dad could support, but he doesn't. A dad could be involved in his life, even if they're not married, but he doesn't. He doesn't have time for his kids. What does that say to a kid? Kids look for their father's approval. And they want their father to be involved in their life. It's a thing that one man I heard talk about, he called it father power. There's just something powerful about the influence of a dad, especially if that dad lives for Jesus. I read some statistics one time, and uh, I don't remember the exact numbers on any but one. And uh, it said that if a child gets saved, there's a chance that other people in their family will get saved, but it's pretty low. If the wife or the mother gets saved, there's a much better chance that other people in the uh, family will get saved, but it's, it's not extremely high. But in every situation, if the father gets saved, there's a 90% chance the rest of the family will trust Christ. There's just something powerful about a man who will commit his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And guys, our children and our grandchildren, that they uh, need it. They need us, and we need to be involved in their lives. Now, um, I was uh, thinking about uh, how it is that we try to live in this way, and we try to disassociate ourselves. Some men, it's not that they never get involved with their kids. They're living in the household. They just don't have anything really to do with their kids. And uh, they're busy working, they're busy doing their hobbies, they're busy playing golf, going fishing, going hunting, doing things like that. And the kids still suffer from all of that, but even worse, when there's not a father, of course, in the, uh, uh, the home. Okay? Secondly, we've fallen for the myth of happiness outside of gender roles. Now notice this is very specific in here. Happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. And it means a biological male. A male as God assigned it, not a male who decided to, uh, didn't want to be a woman anymore uh, or anything like that. This is something that uh, is extremely important. The man is going to war and he's got the arrows in his quiver is the imagery here. And it's decidedly male. But I want to... uh, say that in our world today, what we have done is we're devaluing both genders, both sexes. We're devaluing the women, and we're devaluing the men as well. And when we try to say there's really no difference, and you're not really all that special, you're not really all that important, in fact, you can change and be whatever you want to be and play that kind of game, it means that nobody is really unique, and there's nothing really uh, all that important about us. But I want to there's some verses that are going to come up on the screen. I'm going to read them and you can write them down. And notice in all of these, there are two genders. The mother and the father are mentioned in each of these verses out of the book of uh, Proverbs, which tells us both are important. Kids need a mom, kids need a dad. And it says in Proverbs 6.20, My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of of your mother 
See the equality there? They're both needed. With all due respect to Hillary Clinton, it doesn't take a village, but it does take parents. And we've got to put the emphasis on the parents, and it takes both of you moms and dads. Proverbs 23, 25 says, uh, Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her rejoice who gave birth to you. you. We ought to all be working to make sure that our parents are filled with joy because of us, even as we grow up and age ourselves. And then in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1, it says, A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. See how they both are together in this? Proverbs 17, 25. A foolish son is a grief to his father, and bitterness to her who bore him. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20. My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching or the law of your mother. And Proverbs 23, 25 says, Let your father and your mother be glad and let her rejoice who gave birth to you. I think I repeated that one. And uh, we look at all of this and I, the point that I want to make is that everything is to be done together, a father and a mother, not just a sexual uh, uh, encounter and then, uh, well, I don't want the child, you take him, and, uh, or I don't want you in my life, you take him. I've always wondered a little bit about why it is that somebody will think that this guy is worthy of having sexual relations with, but he's not worthy of being married to. He's not worthy of being around the child. Something's really messed up in our thinking in these kind of things. And uh, this is where our society is going. And we're producing generation after generation after generation of hurt children and broken relationships and uh, poor parenting and bad modeling. If the people follow in our footsteps in the next generations, where are we going to lead them? Where are they going to end up? And what are we actually going to teach them to do now we also have here another myth the myth of happiness outside of monogamy boy that's been under attack for a long time hadn't it uh, heterosexuality and responsibility and I think as I thought about those words that sort of sol solves the problem if we would just be monogamous I had a professor in college uh, Dr. Idle, and he was a uh, missionary to Cameroon. He taught at a seminary there. And when he was teaching uh, preachers in Cameroon, they came from a tribal society where the chief of the tribe and other men in the tribe, they had a multiplicity of wives. Big problem for somebody who gets saved. What do you do with the wives? If we're only supposed to have one, which one do I take? And which ones, you know, what are we supposed to do with all of this? Big problem. And one of the students came to Dr. Idle and he said, I don't understand. Are you telling me that in America a man only has one wife? And he was just incredulous at that. Dr. Idle said, yes, that's the way it's supposed to be anyway. And uh, later <laughs> this student came back and he goes, I understand now. I watched several episodes of Dallas. Remember that? And he said, and I get it now. In America, you too have many wives, just one at a time. Well, he's right. 
Monogamy is something that we just don't think about anymore. And we, uh, don't, uh, we're not all that shocked when somebody commits adultery, when they have an affair, and, and everything gets all mixed up. And think about all of the custody battles, and think about children that have all of the different people. Well, I don't know, you know, my, my brother and I, are, we're brothers, but we have different dads and different things like that that go on. And how confusing, how are we related? We don't really live together, we don't really know each other. And um, it's just a, a sad thing. But that could all be solved with good old-fashioned monogamy. One man, one woman for life, as Jesus said. And then the next thing is heterosexual. We are confusing our children and confusing a generation when we say, oh, love is love and sex is sex and relationships. It doesn't really matter what you are or what your gender is. And uh, one of the things that we're kind of coming across is a phenomenon that I heard about just the other day. And that is in these liberal cities like Boston and uh, in California and New York and different places like that. What happens is all these people, they vote liberal, but they live pretty conservative. They vote liberal and yet the way they raise their children is a little bit different. And this is confusing the children because here I am. Uh, my parents are wealthy enough, we can live in a nice house, they can send me to whatever school I want to go to, and uh, they aren't getting divorced, there's one man and there's one woman, but every time they vote, they vote for homosexual marriages, and they vote for all of these different things, but that's not the way that we live. And so they get confused about all of that, and they're not sure exactly what they ought to rebel against. I feel sorry for this generation. I think for those of you who grew up in the hippie generation, things were so conservative. Then you knew what you were rebelling against. What do you rebel against in this day and age? There's everything, and everything's out there, and it's confusing to people. Not that I advocate rebellion. That's somewhat of a joke. And then the idea of responsibility. Who takes responsibility anymore? Who is it that kind of has the idea that if I father a child, I ought to raise that child, I ought to provide for that child, I ought to be there for that child? And there are some of them, um, there are some pro athletes I know, that they have fathered children by so many different women in so many different places, they don't even know where they are anymore. And the children grow up very bitter toward all of that. And it's just, just really, really sad. I want you to think about how this affects people personally. You end up your life with nothing but regrets, broken relationships. You want your children to be around you, but they can't stand you. They don't want anything to do with you. And uh, they're treating you basically like you treated them. Do you remember that song? Uh, Harry Chapin did it back in the 70s. And it, it said... Uh, my child was born just the other day and he came to the world in the usual way but there were planes to catch and bills to pay and all of that and uh, then it goes through the child grows up a little bit dad won't you play ball with me I wish I had the time boy one of these days we're going to get to that and he goes all the way through until the kid grows up and he said my son came home the other day so much like a man I just had to say you know, uh, and he goes on and he said, can we spend some time? And the son goes, no, I really can't. But what I'd really like is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? And then it goes on to where the son is now an adult with a family of his own. 
And he called his son the other day and he said, you know, I'd like to get together sometime. And the son says, well, the new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu, but it's sure been nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And the ending of the song is, and as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me he'd grown up just like me. You remember that? That's the way it is. And what is being modeled to our little children today not just in your home, but I mean in society in general, and it's not a pretty sight. And they don't know where they fit in. They don't know what they're supposed to do. And then we find a lot of people that they get to the end of the life and they don't, their children don't have anything to do with them because their children really don't know them and their children have never been valued by them. And socially, we find that it's in these type of homes that there are more addictions, there are more children that are incarcerated, and there's certainly more crime and violence, that type of thing. Um, almost every time the phone goes off and it's an amber alert, have you paid attention to the fact that it's almost always a domestic dispute of some type? And that doesn't get any better when you live the way our society is um, living. Uh, I found this from the U.S., I think it's the Department of Justice, uh, it says, if you live in a home where both parents are present or you at least have equal access to both parents, you don't know how fortunate you are to have that. There are literally millions of homes across the globe where the kids never had a father present or even, you ready for this, a male role model. So what are they supposed to think and how are they supposed to grow up without that? God designed it for both. And then we find the myth of happiness outside of a godly legacy. Godly legacy. All of us are supposed to leave something behind. And we need to think of it more than just possessions. It's more than just leaving a bank account. It's more than just leaving cars and houses and that type of thing. What are you really leaving behind? If you will think about it, the Bible says the sins of the fathers are visited to the third and fourth generation. Third and fourth generation. Well, that happens because as you raise your children, they're going to be parents and grandparents probably one day. And just as you have influence on your grandpa uh, grandchildren, and as your grandparents had children on you, uh, had, had influence on you, uh, think about how it always kind of goes about three generations. So whatever you do with your children or with this generation, that influence is going to go on to their children and their grandchildren. You are literally, when you uh, stay in the nursery, you are literally rocking that baby's grandchildren when you think about it. When you teach a Sunday school class, you are literally teaching the influencers of upcoming generations. And so it's a privilege to think about that and what we do and how we pray for them and how we live for them. It really matters because it's more than just raising our children. We are influencing the influencers of three generations down the road. And we think way too, we're way too short-sighted on all of that because God wants us to leave a godly legacy. Think about Exodus 20:12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. In other words, 
he is saying there, there is something that is going to carry on from previous generations, and it had better be good, not just frivolous, not just selfish, not just sinful, not just materialistic, something much better than that. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. We want to carry on the legacy, and we want our children to live by the faith that we have and the values that we have, and we've got to live that in front of them, and we've got to teach it to them and not just leave it to someone else so that it carries on. Colossians 3.20 says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. We've got to teach our children, the reason I want you to obey me is not because I think I'm better than you or I'm smarter than you or because I'm mad at you. No, the reason I want you to obey you and the reason I discipline you is for your good. I want you to please the Lord. And it says here that it pleases the Lord whenever children obey their parents. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? That's a requirement for being a pastor. You've got to be able to take care of your own household or you will never be able to take care of the church. That's how important all of this really is, that we do everything right. I think about um, what the Bible says in the book of Genesis chapter 2. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife or cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. But we don't abide by any of that anymore because we've just got a better idea and look how much better our society is than it ever was. Where we have 78% of Americans now that are so stubbornly committed to doing things their way and yet 78% say our country's headed in the wrong direction. Yet we keep living the same way, talking the same way, having the same values. And this is what's really crazy. We keep voting the same way. Folks, that's called insanity. But see, what we like to do is we say, well, all those people... Uh, boy, there's a the problem. It's out there. It's all those people. It's not me. I can handle it. I'll be okay with it. No, you can't. And we contribute to it when we don't understand it, when we don't fight it, and when we don't take care of it even in our own lives. So, wrapping it up. Here's what I would say. Don't have sex outside of marriage. That's reserved for marriage. Secondly, that also means don't date anyone who is not marriage material. Choose only a date that would make a good mate. Because you never know when you're going to fall into temptation. And you fall into temptation. Then you realize he's a bum. Then you realize that things are not quite right. And all of that. Now you brought a child into it. That's really a dangerous, dangerous thing. Um, fathers. Be involved in your child's life. Don't just leave it to the teachers. Don't just leave it to the church. And don't just leave it to your wife. You've got to be involved in their life. I remember reading a book one time where the uh, person who was an experienced parent, because I had the idea I probably ought to learn from experienced parents, not my peers. And uh, he said, if you have a 13-year-old girl 
and she comes up to you while you're trying to read the paper, and she says, Daddy, I need to talk to you. And you go, well, what about? She goes, do you think I ought to get a perm in my hair? I don't think anybody does that anymore, but should I, or, or just leave it alone. And if you say to her, I don't care, go ask your mom and go back to reading your paper. I said, what have you just told that little girl? Don't come to me. Don't bother me. And he said, and if you don't talk to her about things like that, even if you don't fully understand it, if you won't do it then, don't be surprised when she's 16 or 17 and her boyfriend is pressuring her for sex. You think she's going to talk to you? You've already told her your stuff is not important to me. Dads, keep an open ear to your children. Be involved in their lives, even in the things you think are silly or frivolous or they really don't matter because they're important to your children at the time when they talk about them. And at that time, that girl, the way she did her hair, that was the most important thing in the universe to her. And so you've got to be able to be involved and to talk to them and to do uh, what they ought to, uh, to do and to... Uh, Talk about what they ought to talk about. And uh, also, men just step in and mentor children. Uh, you are to have that kind of an influence in teaching. And they've done a lot of studies where even uh, secular liberals understand that there's a difference in the way that men talk to children and that women talk to children. And the children need both. There's a difference in the way that men discipline and children, uh, women discipline, and the children need both. That's why God put you together, and that's why uh, your children carry your DNA and your spouse's DNA as well. And uh, you need to be involved in their life. I would also say this, uh, church, pray for single mothers and pray for their children. It's hard. It's difficult. And uh, we don't need to be pointing fingers at them and we don't need to be judging them and condemning them. We need to pray for them because they're children and the next generation is at stake. Another thing, too, is think long term. You know, there are a lot of times when people get caught up in the heat of the moment and they're not thinking long term because if they did, they would have put a stop to it right away. This is not the person I want to have children with. This is not the person that I want to be married to. This is not the person that I want my child to visit every other weekend or anything like that. And to sum it up, here's the problem. We need to do all we do for the glory of God. Whatever you do, the Bible says, do all for the glory of God. And so when we start saying and listening to sociologists and psychologists and feminists and Marxists and all of these different people, they tell us how to live and it's almost always going to go against the word of God and it's always going to lead us to the path of destruction because there's a way that seems right to a man but the end thereof are the ways of destruction. And uh, as somebody has said rather humorously, insanity, the definition of it is doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting different results. And we are not getting different results. We're compounding the results. And there are more people that are being involved in it. And it's just growing and growing and growing and growing. And we are rotting in our society from the inside out. Right? There's only one solution. And that's Jesus Christ. And the only way the world is going to see Jesus is to see him in us through our witness. And our witness had better be backed up by our lifestyle or they're not going to pay any attention to us at all. And then if we can 
raise our families in a godly way and be whatever God has given us the opportunity to be, to do it right and to do it His way and not follow the world. We have a chance to be different. We have a chance to stand against the tide. We have a chance to stand against the forces of darkness. And uh, remember, greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. And then we really see children as a reward. And wouldn't it be awesome if the little children that you are raising or your little grandkids, whatever they may be, if they grow up to be some of the great heroes of the faith that we've seen in the past. Not that they're going to recycle those things or anything, but we need some Spurgeons and we need some people like that to be in the world today. What if you had the privilege of being involved in them and rearing them? Because all of the heroes of the faith... They all go back, and so many times they talk about a godly mother that prayed for me. They talk about a godly father that stood for the faith and taught me the word of God. It makes an impact on the next generation. So before we go, could we uh, bow our heads and close our eyes? And I want you to take a moment, and I want you to pray for babies in the nursery. And I want you to pray for Bethany and... Dory and all those who work back there and pray for them and pray for visitors to come so that even back there in the nursery, those little babies can feel the love of the Lord and the presence of God and that seeds can be planted in their little hearts even as they do that. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes and just pray for that ministry of our church? Ask the Lord to bless. Ask the Lord to protect. Ask the Lord to provide for those little kids, who knows what kind of world that they're going to be growing up in. The world has changed so fast in our lifetimes. What's it going to do in theirs? Now you will, will you pray for all of the kids and the adults in the Awana clubs? They're back there learning the word of God. May it be more than just an academic exercise. May the word of God be lodged in their hearts. May it be as, I believe it's in the book of James, the engrafted word that is able to save their souls. May it become a part of them. Pray for them and pray for their protection. Pray for their education. Pray for their parents. Now would you pray for Isaac and Jenny and pray for the ministry to students and think about the temptations that you faced when you were in junior high and when you were in high school. Think it was rough then? Did you have a hard time then? What do you suppose it's like now? Would you pray for them and would you pray for their parents? Would you pray for their teachers? Would you pray for them to trust Christ? Would you pray for them to live for Christ? And would you pray for them to tell their friends about Jesus Christ? Pray that God would grow our ministry to the next generation. Give us more parents more grandparents, and more children.
Now, would you pray for your children, your grandchildren, that they would, two things would happen, that they would be saved and that they would be sanctified. Just lift them up before the Lord. And then lastly, if you know someone, and you probably do, who is being raised in a single-parent home, would you, in light of some of these things we've talked about tonight, would you please pray for them, pray for that little family? Ask God to save them if they're lost. Ask God to affirm them. Ask God to give them wisdom. Ask God to provide for them. Ask God to protect them. Well, and I have one more. Would you pray for our school teachers? The schools have become a battleground. Pray for safety. Pray for good learning. Pray for Christian influence. All for the glory of God. And then, of course, as we close in just a moment... You're free to stay here and pray if you want to. You can come to the altar if you want to. Look at your newsletter. Pray for people that are on the newsletter list. And thank you for praying for Chelsea. She is doing better. And we do appreciate that. Father, as we come together as a body, Lord, it doesn't take much for us to look around and go, our society is sick and it's dangerous. It's declining. And we can see that. And we can see it clearly. And even lost people are getting a clue about that too. We want to ask you to help us. Forgive us when we put our faith in the wrong place, in the wrong things. And when we put our faith in what we can do, as the scripture says in what we've read, it's vain, it's vain, it's vain. But Lord, we would love to see more happy Christians. We'd love to see more happy homes. We'd love to see more happy children. And yet we're doing all the wrong things. So help us as believers to do the right things, to be blessed by you so that we can have an impact upon this next generation, two and three generations. If sin is carried on and visited to the third generation, then I pray that our joy would also be visited to the third and fourth generations. And we want to pray, Father, that you forgive us where we've gone astray, forgive us where we have compromised, forgive us where we ourselves have messed up, and uh, Lord, we pray that we would be a living, walking testimony that our God brings beauty out of ashes, that our God is the God who is able to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And we pray all of this because we love you and we love people and we want you to be honored and glorified. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.